Morning, everyone. Today's Bible reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Thanks, Esther. Um, As Belinda said, my name is Hendre, and if I've not had the opportunity to um, meet yet or to say good day today, um, welcome. It's good to have you here. Um, I'm on staff here at Trinity Church Unley as a minister in training, Um, so essentially I spend the bulk of my week in the same building studying um, to be a pastor, um, and I am on staff team a day to get some training and some practical experience while that is going on. Well, we spent last week in the ending portions of chapter 7, and this week um, we've moved on to chapter 8. But before we get into the passage, I thought I'd ask you, what are the five things you couldn't live without? It feels like one of those standard, like, new Bible study group or a work team-building exercise, which I think the common enemy is the bit that builds the team in those things, and, or the common frustration of the exercise. But, but if you actually had to answer the question, what would it be? What are the five things you'd need to live? Well, luckily for us who are still waiting for our morning coffee to kick in, There are some people who are much smarter than me who have spent time thinking about this. Uh, Abraham Maslow is an American psychologist um, and has done a bunch of study into this and has broken human needs into five basic categories. 
I guess he's gone with categories two, so that's slightly cheating. But firstly, there's the obvious things like food and water, the basic physical needs. Next, there's the need for security, and this is both relational security, but also um, physical safety. There's a need for belonging, for relationship, for community. There's the need for esteem. And all of those are needed to move on to self-actualization. But we also know that a lot of this is true even by just looking at them from our own experience. We know and have seen how desperate people get when some of these are lacking. And they try to look for these in often the wrong and dangerous places, whether it be toxic relationships, whether it be friends they should not be spending time with, whether it be looking for security um, in finances and then the stock market crumbles and their life falls apart. I think the last couple of years has made it pretty clear to us how relationally we are all wired. And when those basic needs aren't met, how disastrous that can be for us. We need to feel that sense of belonging. And most of us will have at some stage experienced being part of a team or a workplace where we feel we didn't get the esteem that we deserved, where we weren't acknowledged, our contributions weren't valued. Well, in today's passage, we see the striking way in which Paul tells us that each one of those needs has been met for us in God. Those who were with us last week when we looked at chapter 7 will remember how we were reminded of the sinful nature, of our tendency to struggle with sin, to feel the conflict between sin and our desire to live according to God. We watched a video of my son Theo as he continually turned back onto his stomach and was immediately distressed, yet he kept finding himself back there and saw how we so often are like that too when it comes to sin in our lives. And as a whole, the picture we saw was pretty bleak up until verse 25 of chapter 7 where we saw the great declaration of Paul saying, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, we're last week, we spent the bulk of our time in this struggle with sin, in this tension. This week, we see the goodness and the victory that we saw a glimpse of in verse 25 in full view. And we see a tale of the ultimate fate reversal for those who are in Christ. More astounding than any underdog movie you will see on your outline in the leaflet, which you are hopefully handed on your way in, that we will break down today's passage into three sections. We will see firstly, in verses 1 to 4, how we have been given a new freedom. We will then see in verses 5 to 13 that we have been given a new way of life before seeing in verses 14 to 17 that we have been given a new relationship. And as we go through each one of these sections, we will see how God has met those basic needs we all feel in each one. Well, let's begin with the first one, a new freedom. How secure are you? 
to be honest, that question makes me feel pretty insecure in and of itself. But what does it mean? Financially? Well, if the news is anything to go by, we might not be as secure as we have been for much longer. Socially? I think we are all still feeling the effects of the last two years on our social connectiveness. And anxiety and social anxiety are at all-time highs. Nobody likes feeling unsafe, feeling vulnerable, whether that be physical or relational. We instinctively crave security and safety. And that is why this newfound freedom that we see at the start of Romans chapter 8 is such good news. Romans 8 verse 1 is a pretty well-loved verse and has been regarded by many as the greatest verse in the Bible. And it's not hard to see why some might say this. As it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Despite what we saw last week of the reality of sin in all of our lives. All of us are guilty before God. All of us have sinned. And in reality, therefore, all of us are deserving of the consequence of that sinfulness, of death. But despite that reality, Paul tells us here that there is no condemnation. None. Not one bit. Nothing. That is astounding and is a total reversal of our fate. Despite the fact that we are guilty, those who are in Jesus, who trust in him, are declared as not guilty. When the gavel hits the judge's desk, despite what is rightfully deserved, a verdict of not guilty is declared. We are found innocent. And where we were deserving of the punishment of sin, Instead, we have been granted this new freedom, a freedom from condemnation, a freedom from the guilty verdict and the punishment. Both are gone. But this is not by some error in the justice system. This is not a mistake that might later be corrected. No, as we continue reading in verses 2 to 4, we see exactly why this has come about. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his, son, his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As we saw last week, we were not able to solve the problem of sin by ourselves. We kept doing that which we didn't want to do. And so God did not just leave us there, but took matters into his own hands, and he took the initiative to do what we could not. 
providing the rescue that we so desperately needed. He sent his son, giving him over to death as a sacrifice to take care of the problem of our sin. Jesus, as a sin offering, had our guilt and our punishment transferred onto him. The judgment and condemnation we deserved was fully paid for in Jesus. And so while by nature we were deserving of this condemnation, it has been fully paid, and now there is no condemnation for us. We are free, free from the slavery of sin we were bound to, and free from the consequences it held. If you are in Jesus, you are free. We no longer live under this condemnation. Our sins past, present, and future have all been dealt with in Jesus. Our future has been sealed. Our verdict has been cast. And in so doing, God has addressed our need for security, our need for safety, We no longer need to feel, to fear this impending judgment of our sins because they have been paid completely once for all. And so even when we don't feel safe and secure in this life, our eternity is still secure. Our eternal safety is sealed. It is often still hard for us to feel like we are truly free from this condemnation. We often feel the hold sin has on our life still. We feel our own shortcomings. And we feel unworthy of this great price that was paid. But as John 8 verse 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Despite any feelings of inadequacy we might have, those who are in Christ are free. Despite our feelings of unworthiness that the price was too great, and despite having no merit of our own, we have been attributed the worth of Christ's sacrifice. And so we are free. And so if you follow Jesus, that freedom is yours. You don't need to fear what's awaiting you after this life. You don't need to fear meeting your maker because your verdict has been declared. Don't believe Satan, the father of lies, when he tries to deceive you into doubting what Christ has accomplished for you. But at the same time, for those of us who are not sure whether we can say that we are in Christ, I want you to hear that Christ has offered this security even to you. This is an open offer, a security that will not just carry you through this life, but will hold you for all eternity. In a world of fluctuating markets, of the inevitable disappointment of relationships, of failing governments, where would you rather be looking for your security? 
what Jesus is offering is more secure than anything else in this life and will endure even beyond it. All you have to do is trust in him. A new way of life, verses 5 to 13. Have you guys ever found yourself in a situation where you just feel set up for failure? Where the task at hand seems so far beyond your giftings and capabilities, or where you just feel like you haven't been given the appropriate tools and resources to tackle the problem? It feels like failure is the inevitable outcome. Unfortunately for me, this was my experience of year 12 maths. Maths had, surprisingly, always been my favorite subject throughout school, but when my family immigrated from England to Australia, I skipped a year heading straight into year 12, and unbeknownst to me or my maths teacher, there were quite a few differences in the curriculums. So as we were doing our research studies and trying to solve these maths problems, I inevitably came up against some problems, and when I asked my teacher what might be wrong or what I need to do, trying to reassure me, he said, the answer will come to you in the shower or in your sleep. Like, don't worry about it. Unfortunately, given the gaps in my understanding, no matter how many showers I had, <laughs> the answers did not come. I don't know if we have the wrong kind of shower at home, but it was a struggle. You see, in this next section of Romans 8, we see Paul outlining a new life for those in Christ. Not only has God declared us not guilty, but he has called us to this new way of life. It says in verses 5 to, seven to 8, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. For those who are in Christ, rather than having their minds consumed by that which our sinful nature craves, our minds are to be governed by the Spirit and what it desires. But this is so much more than just a new, even higher bar for us to aim for. But it is a declaration of what the reality is for those who are in Christ. As verse 4, which we already read, said, Us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As those who have been set free, we have been given this spirit. This spirit which is renewing our minds and our hearts, which is renewing our desires and allowing us to no longer be governed by the cravings of our human nature, but by the spirit. So that now we can submit to God's law and we can be found to be pleasing to God. This new life is not just more laws and more requirements, 
but God has provided a way for us to live this new life. We have not been set up to fail. We see this status reaffirmed again in verse 9, saying, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put death to the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Those who are in Christ have this Spirit. Those who are in Christ have the Spirit at work in them. Yes, as we acknowledged last week, sanctification the process of dealing with sin, of growing in holiness, might take time and will never be completed in this life. But we have that spirit at work doing that process. Our minds are governed by the spirit. That status has been declared. Our obligation is no longer to the flesh, but to the Spirit, and so we can put to death by the Spirit our sinfulness, bringing it before God and acknowledging that it no longer has a place in our lives. But as these verses admit, we still are affected by sin. Our bodies still face death. But we also see the hope that just as the Spirit just as that power of the Spirit was able to give life to Jesus' body in his resurrection, so too that same Spirit has the power to give life to our bodies, our flesh, which were destined for death. And this Spirit gives life because of righteousness, but not because of our righteousness, but because of Christ. Because of the righteousness of Christ, that which was destined for death is sealed instead for life. Death will not be the end for those who are in Christ, but they will be raised to an eternal life. Where in our own strength we were unable to adhere to the law. Through this spirit we have been given a new mind and the power to put to death sin. And so, in doing so, God has met our need for esteem, our need for success. This has been granted in giving us this ability, but also in declaring the result already, where in our own strength we were able, unable to succeed in fulfilling the law. 
Christ has fulfilled it on our behalf. And we have been given the Spirit so we might have victory in this life, so that we might get a glimpse of what it might be like when those truths are even more realized after Christ's return. What are you looking to to measure your success? Who are you seeking validation from? Christ has won the victory on our behalf. He has put God's Spirit in us and allowed us to be already more than we ever thought we could. And so, if you are weary and tired of striving on your own, let me read the words of this old hymn to you. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. In the last section of this portion we're looking at today, verses 14 to 17, we see a new relationship on view. We see this great reversal of fates for those who are in Christ as they go from those who were enslaved to sin, deserving of death, to being declared children of God and co-heirs with Christ. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. As those who are not even worthy to be in God's presence, not even worthy to be his slaves, his servants, we have not merely been given a new master, but have been declared to be his children. Do you realize how astounding that is? To take your enemy, those who despise and reject you, and to make them your children, and leave them a share of your inheritance, of your estate. It is utterly baffling and makes no sense. But I think we have gotten so used to this idea that we forget to marvel at it. We have been adopted, deliberately chosen, and incorporated into God's family. Despite all of our sin, despite our inability to submit to his law in our own right, despite our inability to please God in our own right, he has declared us free, given us a new life, given us the ability to live that new life and has called us his own. 
The spirit he has given us has sealed this fate. The promise of this future. And it serves as the marker of our new identity as God's children. And so those who are with Christ will inherit the riches of eternal life. They will not just be spared from the judgment they once deserved, but will be given an eternity with our God. An eternity enjoying the most loving and secure relationship we could ever dream of. And having been called God's children, we have also been given a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, they might not all be perfect yet, but they are our family, and they will be our family forever. We all have somewhere we belong, a family that ultimately will not forsake us, and a father who will never stop loving you. He has addressed this craving we all have for belonging. What a glorious gift that is, that we have been taken from slaves to sin, to sons and daughters of God. Praise be to our God for his abundant mercy, his grace and his love, which he has shown us in Christ. And so as at the start, we saw how we all crave belonging, how we all crave esteem and we all crave security. We have seen whilst in the relationships of the And whilst we might find some element of each one of those in this life already, in the relationships we have in our jobs, ultimately all those things are temporary and will fade or eventually fail. But God, having set us free, having given us this new life and invited us into an intimate relationship with him as a father, has addressed each one of these. He has invited us into a future which is secure, a relationship built on his love and compassion, where we all might desire these things. God has answered them. And as it says in Romans 5, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life. We can trust God with our future. We can trust God already now because of what he has done and what he has already shown us through his son. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this portion of your word in which we are reminded of the just majesty and splendor of that which we have been afforded through Christ. That whilst we were in and of ourselves totally undeserving, that you paid a price so great so that we might be reconciled to you, so that we might have our needs of belonging, of security, and of esteem met. 
God, I pray that you would help us to not look to things of this world, not look to job or finances or merely earthly relationships for those things, but that we would see that only you can ultimately meet them. We thank you that you've granted us a security which endures even through the toughest trials of this life and which will sustain us into that glorious future we now have a right to look forward to. God, we so look forward to that day when we are able to enjoy relationship with you and with each other without sin being involved. Where we get to fully enjoy your presence and give you all the praise and glory as you deserve. Would you help us in the here and now to be putting to death the sin in our own lives by your spirit? Would you help us to be living that new life you've given us to live, empowered and emboldened by your spirit and trusting in you alone? Amen.